Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we will be talking with the fun and amazing human being, Del Hall. He is the CCO and co-owner of 16 Lots Brewing Company, but he is so much more than that. He is striving to be a philanthropist. He's extremely involved in charity. He works heavily with the Ken Anderson Alliance. So he not only loves Mm -hmm. to make beer, he loves to drink beer, and he loves to give back. But the icing on the cake with Dell, and he's been given international exposure for this one thing that he does every year. And this isn't a little thing. He gives up food and only drinks beer during the entire Lenten season. So that is quite the undertaking, and I look forward to hearing his perspective and his story behind that. I'm excited to learn about his journey (laughs) because usually I'm thinking you know a lot of people are just miserable during Lent because they gave up something but it sounds like Dell is enjoying his life with uh some you know beer only exactly and Dell's passion for drinking beer during the Lenten season also lends a hand to our history nugget of the day and this all revolves around Bach Fest and the Bach beer which is traditionally brewed for special occasions it's complex hearty traditionally has a higher nutritional content than most beer and typically is a higher alcohol content as well. It has a particular link to spring because German monks drank it as a substitute for food during the Lenten fast. So the style was popular in pre-prohibition Cincinnati and the numerous breweries all made a seasonal version around Lent. And then this history gives rise to the modern Bockfest. And Bockfest was created by the Hudepel Brewing Company to celebrate the introduction of Christian Moorline Bock. Now, this was in 1993 when Moorline decided to expand its craft beers to include the Bach beer, and the company decided to turn the launch of the beer into an entire festival celebrating Cincinnati's brewing heritage, including a parade. And the parade starts at Arnold's Bar and Grill because Arnold's is both the city's oldest saloon as well as being the first place to serve the 20th century Christian Moorline beer. So as we talk about drinking beer and Bach beer and the Lenten season, who better to have come on board than Del Hall himself? Well, let's bring him in. Okay, Del Hall, we are so excited to have you on When Picks Fly. Now, to begin, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at your Instagram bio, and I love this because it says Del Hall, beer influencer, the CCO and co-owner of 16 Lots Company, wannabe philanthropist, Sergeant Dell Army veteran, hashtag drinks a lot. Okay, now which one do you identify with the most? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, lately it's definitely been wannabe philanthropist, right? Oh, okay, good. Because I, I, I say wannabe philanthropist. Because I don't have enough money to give away my own money. <laughs> what I do, ha- what I do have is time. So I like to raise funds, and I raise yeah. you know, money for a lot of different charities. So um, I, at some point in my life, I would love to be an actual philanthropist that I can just like dole out, you know, large checks and have my name on the side of buildings because I gave them so much money. Dole but uh, uh, you know, for <laughs> for the time being, by the time being, I'm just gonna like you know raise a a few thousand here and there for different charities. Which which is great because this leads us into, you know, your charitable work that you do a lot with 16 Lots and just throughout the community. So let's kind of give people a background as to what you do with 16 Lots and also what is 16 Lots. 
Yeah, so 16 Lots Brewing Company. Uh, we're up in Mason, Ohio. We uh, we are one of 60 uh, craft brewers here in uh, you know Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky. We've been, we've been around five years now, so we've been around since 2017. Congrats. You know, we're a small, we're one of the small guys. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. you know um, we're huge. We um, we have a very nice tap room. We do a lot of business, you know, as a, uh, a, a brewery slash restaurant uh, as well. So, you know, when it comes to the the grand scheme of things, we're just a, this is a small drop in the bucket of yeah. Cincinnati brewing history. Um, but you know, with a lot a lot of things that I've done uh, personally, you know, with uh, my beer fast for Lent, and uh, some of the the dollar figures are not small, uh, especially like you know the 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 one I just raised for Ken Anderson. Yes. Okay. Well, okay. We're going to get, we're going to get to all of this, right? So, but before we do kind of now talk about, cause, um, 16 lots is up in Mason, correct? Yep. yep. So you're a little bit also that brewery is a little bit on the outskirts of the hub of our classic brewing scene, which is what I think a lot of people think of, you know, historically special with, especially with over the Rhine. What all have you done with 16 lots and your role there? Yeah. So I didn't found 16 lots. Um, I used to be the, uh, director of sales at 50 West Brewing Company. Uh, I did that for years. Before that, I was um, a distributor. So, you know, I was the guy that, that went around and sold the craft beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I represented 40 different brands, so Bells and Founders mm-hmm. and Lagunitas and a lot of those guys. And I just worked my way up from being a beer geek, um, which was just a beer fan, you know, through, through the ranks. Yeah. Um, and when I got to 50, to 50 West, it was great. Love the guys there. Love the, the culture mm-hmm. there. We were very small at the, at the time when I came in. Um, help them get to a, a, a much larger point in a, a production. And uh, that's when COVID hit. Yeah. Oh, so wow. when COVID hit, um, you know, the kind of the, the business, you know, we only, we laid off everyone except the brewers themselves, the people that actually made the beer. Mm-hmm. Everyone else um, basically was furloughed. Um, during all of that, they opened up their burger bar concept, which is kind oh, of yeah. like a local, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a local like a, it's a local shake, uh, shake shack, right? Shake that's shack. kind yeah, of like yeah, yeah. what it was. And, uh, and the owner of 50 West kind of said, you know, Hey, you know, we, we, we don't know what this climate's going to be like, you know, um, when I came into 50 West to help them grow, my was, I was compensated on uh, a commission structure, uh, based on everything that went out of that building. So mm-hmm. as we grew across the United States, then my actual commission would grow as well across mm-hmm. the whole country. And, uh, and he decided that they were going to actually contract and, and not sell as much beer and concentrate more on the restaurant concept instead of the yeah, beer concept. So that left me in a lurch because I'm like, well, I'm the beer guy and I get compensated on beer sales. So now what do you do? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let me put my name out there. Um, you know, most people, uh, especially in the brewing industry have heard of me. They know who I am. Mm-hmm. Let me, let, I've been super loyal. Let me put my name out there and, and see if I get any takers. Um, and I'll let you know in two weeks what I decide. I got like nine job offers in two weeks, some to run the whole country for breweries. What? Um, and then some, and then some very small ones. I did not know this about you. Wait, so then what made you choose yeah. sixteen lots over not running a beer empire across the U.S.? Yeah. The bigger guys that were, you know, I was going to run the country for them. Uh, they were not going to offer me any equity. They were not going to give me any ownership, right? They weren't going to give me any equity. They weren't going to be like I wasn't going to be. My title was going to be, you know, like national manager, national chain manager, uh, national yeah. accounts manager, not owner. If I stay local to Cincinnati. Um, I'm going to be an owner of a brewery. So I actually got a couple different offers from local breweries to make me an owner. And uh, 16 Lots was, was the best fit. It was like a, it was a blank slate. 
They're, you know, they, they, they didn't do anything, you know, fantastic, but they didn't do anything bad either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The tap room was fantastic, but it was kind of boring. So you had a lot of creative freedom then. I had all the creative freedom. Yeah, Literally, yeah. when I walked in there, I said, you know, hey, these are like some of the concepts and ideas I want to do. And, um, you know, my business partner, um, that's still, you know, currently my business partner, Mike, um, he was a, a PNGer. Mm-hmm. He um, actually was the chief marketing officer of Sunny Delight. Oh, and he snap. basically told so me, he, he was like, experience. yeah, he had a, his acumen. Yeah, he's a Carnegie Mellon guy, like, you know, yeah. super um, well-educated. So, um, you know, when, when someone that, uh, you know, has the business acumen of Mike, who was the chief marketing officer, says, we're going to, I'll give you complete creative control. You can do what you want. You yeah. can, um, you know, um, when it comes to beer styles, to um, labeling, to marketing, to PR, basically you can, you can do whatever you want. You know, we believe in what you've done in the past and mm-hmm. we want you to do that for us. So here's a question then. When you got to 16 Lots and you said, cool, I'm going to commit, what were they, where did they need help? Because I imagine they needed, they needed your creativity and they needed your marketing advice. So where did you, where, where, what were some of the problems there and, and how did you fix it? Yeah, so basically, um, like I said, they, they did everything okay. Yeah. You know, um, they didn't stand out in anything. Their, yeah. their beer was just okay. Their, the tap room was well-appointed, but mm-hmm. it was very bland. It was very boring. The packaging uh, was kind of dated. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was a lot of things that, that I felt like, you know, I really could make a, a, a big splash with. Um, so the first thing I did was start working on the tap room. I changed the lighting in there. I wanted to. I wanted to make it like when you walk in a brewery, people don't want like fluorescent lights. No, no. There are a couple around drinks. town that I know that I'm like, come on, guys, yes. come and on. You're having some, some drinks. Um, you know, it's none of my business. You might be like have like some indiscretions. Like yeah. you don't want all that on blast. You don't like, want to feel like aliens are coming down to abduct you. No, no. <laughs> you 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 want it to be. I, I wanted people to walk in and feel like they're on a movie set. So I changed all the lighting in the place. Uh, there was literally nothing on the walls and mm. I'm like a big, you know, when it comes to like decorating and things like mm. I love to, to look at interesting things when I'm drinking a beer and like, you just literally just had walls to look at nothing there. So I, I um, I, I took, you know, a, a bunch of pop culture references. It was cool. I took a bunch of pop culture references from uh, myself and uh, from my other uh, business partners and said, you know, what's your top five bands? What's your top five movies? Mm. What books did you read? What, you, what influenced you? Like these mm. kind of things. And I started decorating. I started, I went to town and just started getting all the original posters, band posters, movie posters, I, uh, anything interesting that I could think of that could tie it into a beer in the future. I started doing so where do you think a lot of breweries go wrong when they're trying to launch marketing campaigns or strategies or building out a space? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the actual branding and, yeah. and kind of sticking to your brand itself. Like, you know, what, what does your brand mean? So when it, you know, um, I see a lot of scattered uh, marketing ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, like what, how does your brand identify? So, um, you know, I'm not going to call anyone out specifically, but I see that a lot. I see yeah. like what, what, you know, as a brewery, like what does your brand mean? And then how does it um, go through your entire product line? How do you resonate with the con- consumer that that brand, when they see your packaging, they see a poster, they see, um, you know, a display in a grocery store. How do they immediately tell it's your brand? Because all the successful brands do that. Because I feel like there are just so many breweries nowadays that it's hard for a single one to break through the noise. Mm-hmm. 
what is 16 lots brand and how <laughs> right. are you bringing your own personal brand yeah. to 16 lots yeah so it's very cool so um you know one of the one of the, the dilemmas i had was was i going to change the name so the name 16 lots comes from the revolutionary war so um every 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 soldier got a piece of land for their service in the revolutionary war and basically, William Major William Mason got the land that is now Mason, Ohio. He mm. surveyed the first 16 lots, and it became Mason, Ohio. So oh, that's God. where the, the story came from. And I love history. So I love – I'm a big history yeah. buff. So I love that aspect of it. So, you know, when it comes to history, I, I, I wanted it to keep that there, and especially because it's literally 16 lots history. That's the way they mm -hmm. started. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to just come in and just switch that up. What I did want to do was I wanted to identify the branding itself with a couple a couple things, and it was kind of I didn't know how to explain it to people at first because I had a vision, and and you know when I when I when I saw the brand, I didn't know how to explain it, so I kept telling people, well, it's going to be kind of like steampunk, you know, and they're like steampunk, they're like like that was like ten years ago. There was like you mean like goggles and and like uh, you know like ray guns and things like that. And I was like, well, it's kind of like that. But it's like my spin on it, and it's going to be like kind of like uh, pop culture steampunk. I was say, did you de did you design everything, or was this also were you working with other creatives in town or elsewhere? Yeah, so I have a really good friend of mine who's a beer buddy who uh, yeah. works for Universal Studios and for Disney. Nice, and he freelances good, for me. Good buddy to have. He yep, freelances a... for me. So you were bound for oh, success wow. on that one. <laughs> Yeah, so I basically I do all the art direction, I do all the copywriting, um, I do um, you know all the concepts, and then he comes back to me with ideas. So there's a lot of breweries, and you ask like, what do some breweries do things wrong? I see a lot of intellectual property theft. So IP theft Ooh, is rampant oh wow. yeah. in craft beer, and I see a, I mean, I see it, I see it daily. Wow. So one, I think that's just inherently wrong, right? That's someone else's property. Like you just can't walk around and steal. It's also legally, you know, there's such a liability to, mm -hmm. to do that. And, and it's just like, mm -hmm. just come on, just be creative on your own. Right. So when I, when I say like, I use pop culture references, it's like super, super subtle. And I'm also, it's, since it's all original work, I am influencing it with pop culture, but we're not actually taking any of the imagery. It's yeah. all new art. It's all new copy, you know, um, to give you an idea of like super, something super subtle, we have a, a beer, a Christmas beer called Mason Claus, right? Mm -hmm. It's K K L A U S. Nice. And that was the, that was the name of the beer before mm -hmm. I came in. It was Mason Claus. So to tie that into a pop culture reference and a, a, a TV show that we all like, we we all love the Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Right. And there's one of the characters is named Klaus. K L A U S. Yes. 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 Right. Mm -hmm. So when I when I designed that can, you know, we went very dark because he's a very dark character with a lot mm -hmm. of issues so we went we went dark and instead of doing like something like saint nick or christmasy we went krampus right so yep. we, we took like that krampus like that mm. that evil like you know norwegian imagery mm -hmm. then i also like for the for the icon of the brand it's just a black umbrella with the number four because he was number four of the umbrella academy so it's and it sounds like you're really also seeing what else is going on in the market so you can pivot away Absolutely. from from that um, so what do you think are some of your biggest obstacles then that you have been facing while changing this brand and evolving this brand? Just the way the consumers actually, um, you know, react to you. So, yeah. you know, there's, they, and that was one of the things that you can change the brand. I could have changed the brand, yeah. right? 
But they were just like, yeah, I mean, 16 lots of beer is just okay. It's yeah. Not, it's nothing great. They don't do anything bad, but it's, it's just okay. Getting the, the perception, to get the perception of our brand. So even though you know, people are like, oh, wow, these cans are cool. You know, when it comes to craft beer, the majority of the drinkers are very educated. They, mm-hmm. they know the hottest releases. They've tried all the different beers. They, they aren't untapped the app that, that, that tracks everything they try mm-hmm. and how they rate it. So it's one thing to, to change everything. And, and maybe that would pull something off the shelf for a normal consumer. But a beer geek, really, like, it's, it's, a, it's an uphill struggle to get them to, like, change that perception of what we used to be to what we are now time i imagine what what do you think is the biggest misconception that people don't understand about operating a brewery because i i imagine there are a lot of people who would want to be in your shoes right the brewery world is so cool and you get to be creative and do all of that and there is a lot of glitz and glam to this don't get me wrong but what do you think are some misconceptions that people don't see if you were to pull back that curtain well the, i mean the first thing i say and this is you know i've i've done this for about a decade now is that, you know, it's very easy to sell beer. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. easy to sell mm-hmm. beer. That's yeah. everyone, beer will, everyone everybody wants that, right? beer. Yeah. Everyone wants beer. It's super yeah. oh, it's so easy to sell beer. Well, it's very hard for them to, to, to sell your beer, right? So mm. it's not like mm. it's beer is a very general term. There's a lot of different brands on the market. What's gonna differentiate you differentiate you and have the consumer pull your brand off the shelf? That's the hardest part because there is such um, you know, an influx of breweries, not only, you know, locally, but regionally and nationally, but yeah. the, the market's flooded. I mean, yeah. there's mm-hmm. such saturation with beer. If you go to any of the craft beer stores, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of selections. So that's the biggest misconception is that it's easy. Oh, it's easy to sell beer. How you walk in there, here's a beer, try it, buy yeah. it. Like, yeah. no, no, it's not like that at all. It's, you know, there's, it's very, very competitive. What what is it like? Can you give us a glimpse into, I guess, the beer sales, I guess, process? Yeah. Because like the average well, person does not know how it works. <laughs> that actually links with with Ali's question as well. When it comes to like challenges and and what's you know like when people are like, oh, it's very cool to to own a brewery and to be in the beer business. Well, you know, every brewery is not created equal. Every brewery mm-hmm. doesn't have the same objectives. So you know, there are some like breweries that just want to be a brew pub, and a brew pub yeah. would just be like a tap room. That just sells beer. They sell it over the mm. counter. They they might have big serving and vessels and distributing kegs. They're not distributing anything, right? Mm-hmm. They're nothing at all. Not even just the kegs that they make. Those are all for in-house consumption. Mm-hmm. Then you have you know breweries that they want to see you know their beer being poured at bars and restaurants. We call that on-premise. Mm-hmm. They want to be in the on-prem world. So then they're willing to sell some kegs, but they don't have the means or anything to can beer, right, or yeah. bottle beer and package it to get it into the grocery stores. So that's another level of the brewery business is just distribution. So there's now, is, so many different levels. Is Ohio a good state to own and operate a brewery in versus like a Kentucky? Because all we, yeah. we've had a couple of conversations about liquor laws in other states and other podcasts, but we haven't really talked about breweries specifically. Yeah. So one of the things that, that COVID has done is it's created a lot of parity in the beer world. So mm-hmm. a lot of the states mm-hmm. that were kind of lagging behind, perfect example was Ohio and Kentucky because you brought yeah. it up. Ohio has a has a law that says if, if I own and operate a brewery, I can sell my own beer. Uh, I like to do register as a solicitor. It's fifty dollars, and I can walk in somewhere and say, "Hey, I'm Del Hall with sixteen lots. We want to buy this beer," mm-hmm. and they, it's totally Thank legal. Yeah. Hmm. Kentucky never could do that. Kentucky wow. would never would not allow their breweries to self distribute. 
if they want to distribute beer, they had to sign a distribution agreement with an actual distributor. Which that's, that, you're, does that you're bringing like, in a middleman? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember like, um, let's say, seven years ago, six years ago, when Rheingeist, uh, they started that distribution company in yep. Kentucky, and yep. then they got the rug pulled out from under them, and everything they invested in that was was deemed illegal. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then now all of a sudden, well, and of course now you see Rheingeist trucks everywhere because they self-distribute here in Ohio. Um, right. But they never could them. outside yeah. of across the river because of COVID. Now Kentucky has changed that law. You're allowed to self-distribute. Is that, do those laws go back to prohibition? I know a lot we, of them th- that was the case do. for yeah. alcohol, but I wasn't yeah. sure with beer. Okay. Yeah, we call it, we call it the, the uh, three-tier um, model when it comes to, to beer sales. So you have the yeah. manufacturer, which is the brewery. Then you would have a middleman, which would be the distributor. Uh, or what we call wholesaler, and then you have the retail environment, right? So the bars, restaurants, and the, the grocery stores. Now, because you kind of itched at this earlier, and I'm backtracking a little bit here, but when it comes to actually selling the beer, right? So you're a beer rep, and you're going into these bars and restaurants and whoever you're trying to get to convince to buy your beer. What advice do you have to give to someone who might be having that one-on-one sales interaction and that sales pitch? Because you are a pro at this at this point. Yeah, I mean, I well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to try to brag about anything. Toot my own horn. You can toot your own horn, Dell. You can toot your own horn. I'm such a pro at this that, you know, like the first thing I do. So let's just say I'm walking in. I'm walking into the um, the Alley Patrick pub. Ooh, and I, I, I walk already. in. The first, th- the first thing I'm going to do Patrick would need to come gonna, first, though. I'm going to look at your <laughs> tap list, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to see what you guys mm-hmm. have on tap. I'm going to see how many taps you have. And I'm going to see the assortment, right? Mm-hmm. So off the top mm-hmm. of my head, do you guys know what the most um, – um, the most popular beer style is in the United States. Is it a IPAs? Wheat beer kind of like IPA? No, we- yeah, Bing, really. Bing, Bing, Bing. An oh. India Pale Ale, right? It's an IPA. Uh, actually, in the Yuck. craft beer, in the craft beer market itself, IPA makes up forty-four percent of all craft beer sales. So what? now, okay, all right. So continue okay. that. So listen to this. So so, you, you're so walking this is, in. Yeah, I walk in, right? So when I say IPA, I mean session IPA. Single IPA, double IPA, Imperial IPA, Hazy IPA, Juicy IPA, New England IPA, Cascading IPA. There's a lot of different things within that category, but it makes 44%, right? So if I look at a tap list and I see 10 taps, if four of them are not IPA, I'm going to tell them that stat. I'm going to say, hey, do you know that uh, you know IPA makes up 44% of all craft beer sales? I see you're a little underserved on IPAs. I have an amazing one. It's called Soak City IPA. It's a juicy IPA. And, you know, that's the first thing I would do. Are those, like, general statistics on, like, taste preferences pretty standard, at least throughout the United States? Yeah, so we have a, we have a trade association. It's called the Brewers Association. Mm-hmm. And um, they, in, they hire um, uh, on staff. They have a, an amazing uh, economist. And uh, oh, wow. they run all those numbers for us. So as being oh, a great. craft brewer and being an independent craft brewer, uh, we can pay a fee mm-hmm. to be a part of that trade association based on the size of our brewery. So it's scale. It's scale. So the, the big mm-hmm. guys are paying a lot of money. A small guys are paying a little bit of money. We get the same resources, right? Yeah. So I get mm-hmm. I get access to you know all these you know world renowned you know economists and um, and business minds that I can watch you know webinars. I go to in person mm-hmm. conferences and trade shows and things like that, and I can bring it back and put it in, in place in my brewery and, and in the market. How open and I guess. Uh 
I don't know how you want to say it, maybe open and willingness to work and cooperate with each other are breweries. Like, I'm just thinking well, it's such a competitive space. Why would somebody, I guess, share their, I guess, secrets and knowledge with each other? Yeah, so uh, technically that's illegal, right? So it's antitrust laws uh, in mm. the United States. You're not allowed to, like, share secrets and things like that in, with other mm. With other companies in the same market, um, but you know, I, I have a term that I use all the time. I say it's all craft love, right? In, yeah. in, in Cincinnati, it's all craft love. So you know, there's not a craft brewery in Cincinnati that I'm not friends with. That you know, mm-hmm. if 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 we're struggling with something, and you know, hey, you know, like I really want to do this style. You guys did a really good style. Uh, you did it very well. How do we kind of mimic that? They'll definitely pitch in and help out. Um, especially, you know, in Cincinnati where it's almost, you know, you hear, you hear the phrase like, you know, Ohio against the world a lot Yeah. in craft mm-hmm. beer. It's almost like Cincy against the world because when it comes to Cincy, like we're, we're a family down here. Like people can talk smack, like all they want about other breweries, but we all defend each other. Yeah, I guess that's a good, you're bringing up a good point that I'd love to know your perspective on. You have had such a wealth of experience, I'm sure nationwide. Overall, even just beyond craft beer, just where do you think Cincinnati stands in the bigger scope of breweries within the U.S.? So typically uh, every year there's some sort of a, a competition. It used to be called Beer Beer City USA, right? So there's like, hey, who's who's... Who's Beer City? It's been Denver. It's been Asheville, North Carolina. It's been Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's been San Diego. Um, so when it comes down to that, uh, we're, we're there. Like two years ago, if, if that was still around in that same, you know, um, kind of vernacular, we would have been Beer City USA. It's, it's the way it is. We, we're right up there. Top five markets uh, in the U.S. Beer could be consumed at any time of the year, right? And since I is great because it Absolutely. allows us to, to diversify. But I think there's just so many facets and so many great things behind breweries. And this also then will lead us to your, you know, uh, your philanthropy work and especially your charity work. Let's dive into that and how you really became passionate about this and what you do for the community through your beer. Yeah, so... Um... You know, I, I, you always raise money, right? People raise money yeah. for things all the time. Um, we in the beer business, it seems like we're we're hit with a lot of requests. So not only do like you know, um, as a small business, people say like, "Oh, can you donate this or donate a basket or donate whatever?" Mm-hmm. Because it's, hey, you're a small business. But then we also get mm. the bars and restaurants that are looking for donations for you know different things. They come in us too because we're vendors, right? We supply yeah. things for them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we get it from all angles. Um, in the years past, I've struggled with like kind of being too, uh, not, not focused. And I just in feel what, like, in what oh, way? I just give, like, I'm going to raise money for, for this charity and I'm going to raise money for this charity. I'm gonna raise money oh, for that just charity. different industries. And absolutely. Like different, you know, and, and I feel like verticals. Yeah. Yeah. You need it. You actually, you know, like to make a bigger impact, you kind of need to be more focused. This is so interesting because we literally just had this conversation with Mad Tree because they're really big on environmental sustainability. Yeah. And they said the right? exact same thing about if Absolutely. you want to give back, you really need to funnel your focus as to where exactly you want to yes. give back and how you're going to do it. So what is your focus, Del? Yeah. So um, I actually have a daughter with cerebral palsy. So I have a 15-year-old daughter that was born uh, very prematurely and because of that has brain damage. Um, so it's, uh, you know, obviously it, I, I live with it daily. So I have, you know, because of that, I'm trying to focus on, you know, uh, charities that will help, you know, either children with disabilities or adults with disabilities. And that's mm-hmm. kind of why I've aligned myself recently um, in the past several years with the Ken Anderson Alliance. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, and, cool. and I think that's such an interesting point, too, because the Ken Anderson Alliance is so well connected within the city, too. So it also creates different avenues and different pathways. And speaking of that, I'm holding right now your <laughs> Kenny's Day Drinking <clears throat> Beer, which is a genius mm-hmm. idea due to the Bengals, you know, going to the Super Bowl. But this was created yeah. prior to that. Um, now, how do these kind of ideas spark? I know you talk about pop culture and all that, but but these initiatives are bigger than just branding a can this is really getting the community involved and and getting involved with other events pep rallies etc yeah so what i you know um how how does how does a normal person raise money i mean you know you just put in the hours right so you just you just put in the hours and Mm. and and go after it and in your spare time you kind of look at it as like a part-time job Mm -hmm. and you try to raise money you know for for whatever charity you're looking at you know you know um I'm going to tie this into my beer fast and I'm sure we're going to get into that, but that's yeah. a big that's part of my philanthropy is that, you know, I do this, I do this thing every year that, you know, I only drink beer for 40, for 46 days. Right. I don't, I don't eat. And, um, I, I did that because I started that, you know, four years ago because I wanted to prove if you could do it because, you know, uh, as a beer salesman at heart, that's what I am, even though I'm the owner of a brewery, I'm still mm-hmm. a beer salesman. I call myself a beer rep all the time. I'm wearing a hoodie. Like if you see, if you walk around OTR and you see like a, someone in like Chuck's Your bearded glasses, like, spiked hair hoodie. And a hoodie, you're like, that's a, that's a beer rep right there. That's a beer rep. Like, <laughs> you can spot them. So if you, you know, so when you're, when they're walking around and you ask about like, hey, this, you know, talk about the perfect segue. We're talking about selling beer and then like my beer fest. So when you're selling beer, part of that is romance, right? You want to romance your product, right? So, Hey, we're talking about this IPA, right? Look, this, look at this IPA, right? Hey, do you know what IPA even stands for? I know, I know that you know that it's 44% of all craft beer sales, but you know what IPA stands for? It stands for India pale ale. Do you know why it stands for India pale ale? was because back in the day when India was a colony of Great Britain, they used to have to make beer in England and ship it to their troops in India. Well, it would spoil along that long journey. So hops is actually a preservative, and that's why hops originally started going into beer. So they started putting in more and more hops in order to make the beer last longer along the trip. But what Mm. would happen is people would start drinking it early in the trip, right? I mean, you can't wait that long. I want to drink some of this now. (laughs) And they really, really loved the hoppy flavor of that beer. And they kept calling it, well, this is the India Pale Ale. It was a pale ale, but we put so many hops in it to, and it it's now it's a hobby. It's called the India Pilot, right? Wow, learn something new. There's a style called Doppelbach, and we all know Bachfest here in Cincinnati, right? And and the romance, the story, the antidote that goes along with Doppelbach is that you know these monks in Germany back in the 1600s, they wanted to prove mm-hmm. to the world that they were so devout and they were so dedicated to their life as as Christians that they would not eat and they would only drink this certain style of beer called a Doppelbach. And it had so many calories and so much protein in it that it would sustain them for all 46 days of Lent. But the romance part of that is that Doppelbach story stuck with me, right? Yeah. Mm. So like several years ago, um, you know, this old, this old like, you know, keto, uh, paleo yeah, um, yeah. every know, fad diet uh, inter- out there intermittent fasting yeah <laughs> you know so i've always been kind of interested in that stuff so i started intermittent fasting i was like that's really cool started doing some more like extended fasts and like you know thought one day hey wait a minute that story with doppelbach and now i've, I've done like a four-day water fast like i bet you that's true 
I've yeah. learned so much about fa- about fasting hmm. that I bet you can live on beer for 46 days. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to try it this year. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to do it for Lent just like the monks did. And that's how that's all came about was the romance of me selling a beer, a Doppelbach. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try this out. And I was, I'm going to myth bust it. That's a, and how long have you been doing this now? This is my fourth year. Your fourth year. And kind of yeah. talk about what your body feels like when you go through this, right? That yeah. You're... So, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I know I'm jumping, I'm jumping around a lot, but I'm, yeah. I'm, it's all tied. It's all tied in, right? So that first year I did it and you're, I'm living off of beer. I had no idea what to expect. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know if I was going to die or not. So I got so much press, right? I mean, I was on every every talk show. Did you consult every... a doctor? Absolutely. I yeah. absolutely okay. did. Oh. Um, she told me I was an idiot. And I okay, good. And you did it anyway. Great. <laughs> but I did it anyway, right? Well, my story went viral like immediately. And I got so much press. And I thought, wow, like I'm getting so much press out of this. I really should be raising money for some charity. Yeah. But if I die... That would be really bad press. So I'm not going to raise any money the first year. I'm just going to see if I can do this or not. That's a lot of pressure. Wait, wait to really foreshadow it. your death on that one. Right? I did it. I did it. It was, and I, I did it. It was amazing, right? The, the first year I lost like 42 pounds in 46 That's days. Crazy. Like um, I felt like a million bucks. Like I'm in my mid forties. I felt like I was 20 years old so again. So you felt better. Um, I felt so much. Look, and plus, remember I said I went to the doctor? Yeah. I got all my blood, mm-hmm. my, all my, you know, like a physical yeah. At the end of this, just like supersize me, I went back. And Here what were your results? Pounds yeah, better. Your, all of them yeah. better. My wow. blood pressure was better. My cholesterol was better. What? All markers are from healthy. drinking just beer. Yep. So, so what would what would you tell someone who's thinking about doing the same thing? Well, I'm in a little unique situation, right? Because I own a brewery, so yes. part of my job is drinking beer. But if they have the financial <laughs> so means to do it. If you have a normal nine to five and, and you, you know, it's like, it's, it, it'd be hard to talk to your employer to be like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to eat. I got to go have like, a beer. The next six weeks, the next six weeks, I'm not going to eat. But I tell you what, I'm going to have some beer at my desk. So like every now and then I'm going to drink a beer. Is that cool? Like most people are not going to be okay with that. <laughs> Slightly buzzed while you know? doing work. <laughs> but on my side of things, it was my job. This is what I did. I drank beer mm. for a living anyway. Right. So yeah. like now, now, now it's not only is it part of my job. Now I'm getting worldwide recognition. You know, yeah. I mean, like that first year I had du- the, the number one uh, radio station in Dublin, Ireland. They called and did a remote with me on St. Patrick's Day. That's incredible. Oh, that's cool. So what do you right? have like, lined was, up then for this year? Because we're, we're, as, you know, as we release this podcast, it's the week of, it's March 1st, I believe. Um, and if not, I will dub this in again. Uh, <laughs> and we're moving into the Lenten season. So what is your yeah. strategy for this year? So I've done it four years now. So actually, you yeah. know, um, I'm, it's, I'm like really well known now. Right. So like yeah. every year mm-hmm. I have like, I kind of have like a marker. So like of things of like, it's like, okay, like, you know, the first year, uh, it was, it was, it was ridiculous because it legit went viral. So like, if I'm surprised like, someone else like, hasn't made headlines like this prior that people, you're, people are like, they're like screenshotting their Snapchat because I was on dude perfect or I was on Barstool sports or I was on, on ESPN or golf magazine or maxim magazine it was ridiculous i just mm-hmm. said constant right well mm-hmm. then i got like you know i got a shout out like on um the adam carolla show and then jimmy mm-hmm. kimmel and i'm like holy crap like this is this is ridiculous like this is this is beyond my expectations but, and how did people hear about you right though because that's kind of why i made just that comment before of 
I feel like you can't be the only one who has gone through yeah, this. Yeah, only right? one in the world. Well, okay. So when I when I first decided to do this, I was like, well, I know the monks did it, right? Yeah. And then mm-hmm. like I googled like you know beer fast and Lent. And I found one example of a guy like in 2011 that was kind of like a home brewer monk, and like mm-hmm. he he went through he he did it and he like um as like a very like religious practice, and um so I found out later yeah. um because because the vatican called me so oh, wow. what yeah yeah so like, the what's up, pope? Like, the pope the <laughs> like legit like i mean like so like the cardinal in charge of all of europe like against like it calls me and and tells me well, like, like hey excuse like, me the pope is on the phone please hold like, so it was a it was a press secretary it was his friend and it was like hey That's like cardinal so and so wants to talk to you and he's like so uh mr hall um, I need to know, like, uh, are you doing this to mock our religion? That's the first what? thing a guy asked me. Oh, and what? Like, That's like, hot like, oh, right no. out the gate. Yeah, I was like, oh, not at all. I was like, not at all. I was like, actually, I'm not religious. Like, I'm not. I'm, I'm not Catholic. I don't. I'm not doing this for for any religious mm-hmm. reasons. My, in fact, my, if anything, my religion's beer. Yeah. I said, I just, I'm just doing it because I know the story of the monks, and I'm just kind of myth busting it. I'm doing it on my own to see if if it's possible or not. And he said, okay, well, you know, after we, we talked for like 30 minutes, he goes, well, oh, wow. I have to tell you that, um, you know, if for religious purposes, those, the monks, even in the 1600s, ate every Sunday during Lent. Their vows of their Lenten vows don't matter on Sunday because all they what? care about, all they care about is mimicking like Christ's 40 days and 40 nights. Lent's 46 days. So you take out the Sundays, it's 40 days and 40 nights. And, so and they, in that moment, like, hate. what were you gonna be like? Um, uh, I was like, so like, I'm better than all the monks. Yeah, so you're like, I am the ultimate monk. I am the master monk, is what you're yeah. telling me. And I'm like, so yeah, so like, I think in 2011, that story, of the guy that did the religious fast with beer. Yeah, I think he did it like yeah. the monks, and then the monks actually did it where they ate every Sunday, which, in the grand scheme of things, I think is actually harder because it, it would be hard mm. to start and stop. Mm-hmm. It's much easier. To You're just more tempted just to ride. keep eating. Let it ride. Just okay. let it ride. But question. So I know you're not. You said your religion's more like beer. But aren't you supposed to be giving up something that you like for Lent? I feel yeah. like everybody listening to this everything. podcast, yeah. <laughs> it would be like, Ooh. what if I could give up every? You know, just drink beer. That sounds great. Yeah, you have to give up literally everything. I do not consume any calories at all. I don't even chew gum. No artificial sweeteners. Nothing. I only. I live off of beer. Are you drunk How all many the time? Calor- or no? No. I drink like three to five beers and I like spread them out. Like I intermittent fast anyway. So in the morning, mm. I don't really, um, I don't have anything. I do drink black coffee. Okay. There's just no, no calories, just do, black do coffee you, and a lot of water. Do you actually consider the ABV when you are drinking different beers or is yeah, that Yeah, because like the, a, the, eh. the bigger the ABV, the more calories there are in it. Uh, oh. But also – your your entire metabolism is different. There's nothing in your body absorbing in it, mm. so an ABV hits you like that. And so hold on. So then you have to kind of almost drink the lighter beers that don't have as many calories, which then like you're not yeah. as full, and then that sounds painful. Which makes you drink. Well, yeah. So what happens is body goes through um, withdrawal. Like when you first stop eating, like I I normally eat like a standard American diet, right? Like. You know, it's fast food sometimes, it's sushi, it's this, it's yeah. that, it's whatever. Um, so, you know, but we're, as Americans especially, we're addicted to sugar, we're addicted to carbs, um, yep. we're addicted to just the dopamine rush of, you know, like, we're not even looking at the bite in front of us, 
like our bite we're chewing on, we're like looking at our next bite already. We're like just so habitual yeah. in our eating habits. Waiting, waiting so, for the waiter to come out with all the yeah, food, just staring right? at the door. So the hardest part is like breaking those habits. So the yeah. first like week sucks. The first week is like, it's like really going through a draw and not, you know, not eating and, and not chewing and not going to, uh, you know, going to a restaurant or a new restaurant will open. You're like, man, I get so FOMO because I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, normally I'm that guy that is, I'm at the restaurant. I'm normally going to all the soft openings. I'm doing that stuff, you know, and we, we eat just for, we eat just for, uh, entertainment a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then all that entertainment's I, gone. So obviously that brought an awareness to you, I guess, yep. in terms of, I guess the, indulgences that we uh yeah. as humans in america are lucky to have uh did you ever take your notoriety and kind of guide it towards your charitable passions yeah so that first year since i didn't know i was going to die i didn't want to do that but then i i felt i felt amazing <laughs> and, and you i did was, not it a, right it was great so like i was like gear two let's go like let's raise some yeah. money so um I, I i joined forces with juvenile diabetes foundation Mm -hmm. uh, that, that second year and ended up raising a $10,000. Um, I, I linked it to my weight loss. So I was like, look, uh, you can, you can, uh, you know, donate for every pound I lose during Lent. And I ended up, you know, so many people like would, would donate and then they would follow me cause I, I weigh myself every day during Lent and I don't post it. So yeah, people yeah. can see like, like the journey and, uh, yeah. And I raised $10,000 for juvenile diabetes in six weeks. Dang this. And I just think about, you know, what are, what are things that other breweries can do, you know, to raise money and, and get on board with a mission and a passion and maybe not, you know, go on a Lenten fast for 40 days, whatever that might be. Um, so what advice could you potentially give them if they're looking to like kickstart and get into that boat like you are? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the biggest part of it is, you know, finding something to focus on. Don't, you know, you don't want to spread yourself too thin and, and lose yeah. focus, but it also, it's, it's something you have to be passionate for. Yeah. Right. So there has to be some tie in to, to, you know, like I, I'm in the beer business because beer was my hobby and it was my passion and mm. I turned my hobby into my job. Right. What so are your thoughts you on that, that of turning your passion into your job? Cause I've also heard mixed emotions in regards. No, I think if it's a, a true passion, then mm -hmm. you, you know, the, the, the antidote of you don't you never work another day in your life is absolutely true. You, what what you, are your thoughts on starting a business and being an entrepreneur with your passion? So maybe not yeah. necessarily working in the space, but actually building an, a business from the from the ground up because those are almost even two I mean, different thoughts. It's it's a so like if you're doing it from a healthy perspective mm -hmm. and and you it's it's something that you know that you absolutely know you're passionate about and you know if you're you, if you know going into it that I'm going to put the time and effort behind this and I don't care how how much I see whatever that passion is or how much I get dragged down or how much negative influence I get I know it's mm. still going to be my passion you're probably okay if it's one of those things that's like if if it's a um, if it's uh, you're heavily into it uh, maybe you're not actually passionate maybe you just really like it it's just, I have strong feelings for this yeah, thing. Yeah. And then when you go into it, you know, and you get into the, you know, um, as, as a business owner and an entrepreneur, it's you know, 40 hour work week. That's ridiculous. Like you're going to work mm -hmm. 60, 70, 80 hours every single yeah. week, you know, in, in that field, it is 100% a grind. And if you can't picture yourself doing that for that long and not actually, mm -hmm. and you know, it's also like, if it's a passion project, 
you're probably not going to be necessarily well compensated. Yeah. Now, was there ever a time that you second guessed yourself for pursuing the, the path that you have? No, not in beer. If you could look back on your journey, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger Dell self? So I actually had, I had some like really good advice when I was like struggling with a, a career, like yeah. back when I was like, you know, like in the army and like talking about civilian jobs and like things like that. My, my ex father-in-law, he said, you know, Dell, you need to sell. You're, you're a born salesman, like your personality and what you do. And you're really well-spoken and you can, you know, you're, you know, no strangers. You need to sell. And yeah. I know you're okay with that, but you need to sell what you're passionate about. So, so what are you passionate about? I'm like cars and houses. Like I really like cars and I really like houses and going to, you know, tours and things like that. So yeah. I became a realtor. So my previous yeah. life, I was a real realtor for years. Um, <laughs> I did not know how strong a passion for beer and that it was something that you could then transform into a career. Back then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're talking like the late nineties. I just like beer. I, I loved craft beer. Then I drank craft that beer. Craft then. boom didn't, hasn't, didn't happen no. at that point in time yet. So. No. So I like, I loved beer back then, but I had no idea yeah. and never thought about making a living in craft beer. Yeah. It was, it was later that that kind of opened itself up. Right. So yeah. I, I always like to tell people like, just to give you an idea of like the number of breweries and like, we talk about 60 here in Cincy mm-hmm. when Jim cook, which we all know Jim from yeah. Sam Adams, yeah. right. He actually um, got the recipe from uh, Sam Adams of Munster, Ohio. It's his great-grandfather's uh, brewery. was um, right up the road north of Dayton. When he started Sam Adams in 1982, he was the 50th brewery in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And people, for, people West forget started, about that. And, right? uh, and a lot West of that started, was like the repercussion of prohibition, too. Kind of we mentioned absolutely. that before. It just it knocked out the majority, if pretty much not all the breweries, uh, yeah. across the U S so. Well, there were, I mean, there were, you know, before prohibition, there was 140 breweries in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there was one, they were much smaller, not talking about large production, you know, just talking about mm. small breweries. There were so many, but after prohibition, it knocked all those out. Sam Adams yeah. was the 50th brewing brewery in the United States in 1982. And, and full circle, right. As you had mentioned before, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Bachfest, right? Christian Moorline was one of the yeah. largest breweries in the United States, top five pre-prohibition, and they still, however they did, they still managed to survive, right? That's a conversation yep. for another day, post-prohibition. So with Bachfest around the corner and to close this out, you know, what are you, Del Hall, looking most forward to moving into this Lenten season for yourself personally for another, you know, fast challenge along with the brewery as well? Because there will always be charitable functions moving forward with you guys at yeah. 16 Lots. You know, last year, uh, like I said, the first year, uh, I didn't know what to do. The second was juvenile diabetes, you know, because people make fun of diabetes when it comes to beer being sweet and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third year mm-hmm. was COVID. So I was like, well, I have to raise money for bars and restaurants in Southern Ohio uh, for COVID. So I raised like $12,500 last year and oh, wow. uh, literally walked into 50 bars and restaurants and put $250 in the tip jar. Um, wow. and, that's and really that's, cool. That's how I gave out the 12500 Um this year, uh, like I said, to be more focused, I'm actually going to raise money for Ken Anderson Alliance. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were one of the recipients of uh, one of the Bengals playoff game balls. 
that's we actually cool. got oh, that's really cool. We actually got we got the first one had an error on it. They they spotted it. They gave they gave me a new one. We took the old one, donated it to Ken Anderson. We just raised twenty thousand dollars for that ball. Oh my oh, gosh! Because wow. we were talking about this when we were together last. Like whatever, whoever gets that ball, wherever that goes, that's worth something, and that's amazing to hear yeah. that that money is going towards charity. Twenty thousand dollars just for a you know game ball with an error on it. It's a piece of Bengals history. I love it. So how can people follow along on your journey and maybe donate to the causes you care about? Yeah. So um, like I said, I'm, I'm donating. Uh, I'm raising money for King Anderson Alliance this year. Um, I know it's it's right here at the end, but I, I haven't really dialed it in yet exactly. It's probably going to be something linked to my weight loss again. Mm-hmm. So you know, for every pound I lose, people can donate. Uh, I might work in like a half marathon this year. Ooh, so, oh. um, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about running it. I'm talking about like like walking it. <laughs> Ali volunteers to run like, the half marathon with you. We're talking <laughs> about like, you know, here in like four or five weeks, I haven't eaten right in over 30 yeah. days. It's probably not wise yourself. to go run a half marathon. That's but a true I beer can, run right there. Right? But I can walk it. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's donating a certain amount per mile that I make it. Yeah. You know? So if I mm. make it 12, you know, if you donate, you know, 10 bucks per, then that's $120. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll figure it out uh, before the actual, you know, start of, of Lent uh, here coming up very soon. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll find it on my Instagram. So it's Sergeant Dell, S-G-T-D-E-L. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, under Dell Hall, you can find me on Twitter under Dell Hall, um, and you can look at. It, I'm, I'm sure the Ken Anderson Alliance, which is uh, the Ken Anderson Alliance dot org, yeah. will have a big uh, banner that will talk about the fundraising. Uh, Dell, we really, we really appreciated this chat, and uh, this is something for everyone, I think, to look forward to on your journey um, because it's so different and so unique, and we really appreciate yeah. I mean, I, I feel it's yeah. like I mean, there's so many topics we cover, and it's like it's such a shotgun approach. It's like we're talking about like you know entrepreneurship, we're talking about yeah. fundraising, we're talking about we're Truly, talking about beer, we're talking about lens. Welcome I mean, to One Pig's Fly. We're kind of a yeah, little all over the, the place, and but you also <laughs> to to kind of wrap this up to you, and why we really wanted you on is because you embody a lot of depth and a lot of diversity mm-hmm. in what you do. And I think that's really important as someone who is a leader in a company in no matter what industry. Um, and it's important to highlight that. And and I think bringing in charitable efforts and bringing in a greater mis- mission beyond just the dollar signs is so important. And you really, really embody that. So keep up what you're doing. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Yes. Thank you, Doug. I am about to crack a beer, and I will say we cut the recording, and there's one thing that we didn't get a chance to add, which I absolutely love about Dell, was his ability to cater to his audience. And we're going to elaborate mm. a little bit more on this decompress. But we, we were kind of giggling because, you know, 16 Lots is up in Mason, and it's Soccer Mom Central, right? So what's cool is that he no knew what he wanted. No Soccer Moms. Yeah, no, it's great, right? You know your audience. But what's cool is he was able to bring this really hip, cool, creative, retro branding up mm. to Mason. It doesn't matter where it is. It's his, it's his vision, right? But mm-hmm. he also knew that, okay, what is the product that you're serving? The wines need to come into play. Some of maybe some of the sweeter beers that are lower mm-hmm. ABV. Because, heck, if, you're, if you have kids happy hour you got to be careful um and just catering to that crowd so we didn't get that on tape but i wanted to reiterate reiterate that you can have a creative vision and a creative brand but still at the end of the day it's also that product that you serve 
and well, who is drinking it to, is very important. Yeah, he has to make sure there's like seltzers available, wines available, mm-hmm. sours, more fruit fl- forward flavors. So um, love that he's very conscious of that. And I think that just speaks to his, you know, being conscious about all aspects of what he's doing mm-hmm. what it, especially like for me i really love the fact that he's very focused when it comes to like charity like he picks a cause and focuses on it this kind of hearkening back to what we talked about with uh the mad tree group of you know narrowing their focus down to just environmental he mm-hmm. is really caring about you know kids with disabilities because of his daughter but i think that also applies to business and to his branding mm-hmm. he's narrowed down a focus for what he wants 16 lots to be and he's kind of says it's kind of like steampunky uh yeah. vibes uh and but also that kind of like modern pop vibes are kind of like mm. sewn in it lightly. So I think he takes that message and really expands that, you know, across uh, you know his charity work, his business work. And then also while he's doing Lent, he's focusing on just beer. That thought that you just said kind of sparked my, my own thought into two buckets here. One being, yes, the cultural impact that he has, but also where he gets his creativity from. And I think sometimes as a creative, someone who might be in marketing or branding and design, it's really easy for us to get in into a funk. And I think his tip of using pop culture references is really great, but also understanding don't rip stuff off because IP intellectual property is very valuable and Mm. don't be that guy, which then kind of leads me into um, my next thought that he is just such a genuinely good, humble human being that cares about his passion, beer, but has also been able to evolve it into charity. And we've had this conversation a couple times and I asked him as well of, okay, where's that line between, you know, you're passionate about something, but you're starting a business and you're an entrepreneur. Should you actually be doing that? Because is it going to taint your passion? Mm-hmm. I think Dell is the perfect example that he has this passion, but it goes so much deeper than that because he he really does want to raise money. He wants to do better for the community. And that is his driver. It's something beyond himself. And as someone who is a part of the Cincinnati community, I am, I feel very fortunate to know somebody like Dell um, and all the contributions that he makes and as an ambassador for this city. So that's kind of my my last train of thought. On no, that. and I'm glad that you brought him onto the podcast, yeah. Ali, and I'm glad mm-hmm. to have met him. And so for our audience, go check out Dell's Instagram, Twitter, 16 Lots, you know, Instagram and Twitter as mm-hmm. well. Keep an eye out for links to donate to the Ken Anderson uh, charity. And to keep track of his Lenten uh, fast journey. So I'm really excited to keep track of that ourselves. Now, not do not forget, <laughs> go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Also, like, review, email us. And Allie, most importantly, what should they do? Tell your best friend about this podcast because we want your best friend to listen to this too. <laughs> Soccer moms, while you're going to uh, 16 Lots up in Mason... Yes. Talk to your friends and tell them about When Pigs Fly, uh, and we will see. <laughs> yes, and we will see you all here back next week. And on that note, prost. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. 
At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also wanna give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.